Yeah, Kim, fantastic. Thank you. Awesome. Great story. I, yeah, really good. Loved hearing it. Um, well, friends, um, there are certain claims that uh, force a decision, that necessitate a verdict, where you cannot sit on the fence. And to do that, where you'd be misunderstanding those claims... Let me give you some examples of, um, if you're not sure what I mean, if you're not quite following along. All these, or perhaps more accurately, their followers, claim to be an improvement on the other. They're more superior, they're more popular, they're faster, they're stronger. Some of these pairs, ah, well, you really just wouldn't bring them up at a dinner party. Let me show you what I mean. Rugby League and Rugby Union. Ford and Holden. Dogs versus cats. Why can't they just live together? Star Wars versus Star Trek. The Beatles versus the Rolling Stones. Uh, Actually, neither for me, but that's another story. But anyway... Uh, this one, of course, has... Well, I, I'm, I, was this the cause of World War II? I'm not quite sure. English breakfast versus continental breakfast. See, <laughs> um, so each of these pairs, they force a question, don't they? Whose side are you on? Now, if you don't get that, go and spend the weekend. Don't miss church, of course. But go and spend the weekend at the, in October at the Bathurst 1000 and you will understand. <laughs> Today we meet four characters, three of them are really not so much characters as really groups of people, but I'm going to call them characters, four characters that are confronted with the claims of Jesus, four characters who may well even represent people, or may well even represent you or people that you know. See, the writer in Luke's Gospel, we're really heading through Luke's Gospel in this Passion series, The writer Luke tells us at the start of his biography of Jesus in Luke chapter 1 that he writes an orderly account. And he writes this orderly account so that his friend Theophilus would know the certainty of things that have happened and things that that you've been taught, he says. He writes too so that we as readers, so that we would be confronted with the historical Jesus, that we'd be confronted with the claims of Jesus... He writes so that we won't just sit on the fence. It's one or the other. That's why he writes. He writes so that we would come to a verdict on Jesus. The first uh, character we come across in our reading this morning is the disciple Peter. Now, let's, uh, let's, I've got a little clip here. Let's watch this uh, video clip to remind us what happens. We'll need some lights off, guys. It's a pretty dark clip. You'll see why I mentioned in a moment. So, thanks, guys. Oh, <laughs> 
You're going to save us, Your Majesty. Hey, you're going to save us. What are you going to save us from? This man, too, was with Jesus. Woman, I don't even know him. I saw them together. You're humble, sir. <laughs> How does it feel to look up to somebody? You are one of them, too. But I am not. There is no doubt that this man was with Jesus because he's also a Galilean. Go away. <laughs> I don't know what, what you're talking about. go uh it's a it's that jesus film was written in um, made in 1979 can you believe that 1979 it's a long time ago and uh i think it does does it pretty well um it's certainly better than um smiley jesus uh, if you've seen some of those movies where jesus is smiling the whole time um and uh there's <laughs> some pretty bad jesus movies been around i just love um i love the tension in it because i think it was there I, I don't really like the Cockney accents of the first century Roman soldiers. <laughs> Prophesy, which I? Um, not very good at accents, I know, that's embarrassing. But anyway, uh, what a scene, hey? Uh, so confronted with the claims of Jesus, what does Peter do? Peter retreats. As one scholar remarked in our Tuesday night men's Bible study, Peter followed at a distance in the darkness. And that's what it was. Not, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually. As Jesus said in verse 53, this was when darkness would reign. Peer pressure, self-preservation, the ways of the world, and quite possibly the threat of death, are too great for him to bear. Just as Jesus predicted only hours earlier, Peter denies him three times. I don't know him, he says to the woman. Man, I am not, he says to another when asked if, he's too, if he too is one of them. And when confronted with the accusation of being a Galilean, which is really shorthand for being a follower of Jesus in those days, he says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Peter stands in stark contrast to the nerve and the guts of Jesus, doesn't he? If you're a follower of Jesus, though, it's Peter that we can relate to in this scene, not so much Jesus. Because it's Peter and his weakness, his failure, that reminds us of ours. 
that time when we, when we just stayed silent. You remember that time, don't you? Those times. Uh, or that time when we minimised our commitment to church and subsequently Jesus. Yeah, I go now and then. Yeah, now and then. Or that time when we threw Jesus in with Muhammad and Buddha and Moses. Oh, they're all good people. You know, Jesus, yep, with them. It doesn't really matter which one. It all, it all ends up the same. Or that time when we flat out lied. No, nah, mate, I'm not really into that. No. Nah. I don't know about you, but, our, um, but if our reaction to failures isn't like Peter's, who we read in verse 62, he went outside and wept bitterly. If our reaction isn't one of deep regret and shame as we seek the forgiveness of God, well, we need a, we need a pause, don't we? Um, and we need to come to our Heavenly Father and, and say sorry. Sorry, God, I've stuffed up. But all the while knowing that God not only loves us and offers us forgiveness, but God even uses our failures. Peter is proof of that. God uses failures like me, failures like you <laughs> and others. God uses us. And it's exactly what Jesus said Peter, uh, or Jesus would do in Peter when Peter turned back. Remember back in 22 verse 32? It was, God would use him. Uh, God would use him to strengthen others. Remember, it was Peter Peter, who in just a matter of days was preaching to the crowds, the church in Jerusalem. It was Peter who was telling the gospel to thousands at Pentecost and standing before the same Jewish leaders that just crucified Jesus and telling them that salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. You see, the character of Peter and his response to the claims of Jesus ought to be the most encouraging and hopeful story for any Christian who has ever failed. Isn't that true? Well, turning back to Luke 22, verse 63, we meet our next character and note their response to the claims of Jesus. We meet the guards. Have a look at verse, 20, verse 63. The men who were guarding Jesus, the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. For many in this world, Jesus will be a joke. A game to belittle and poke fun at. Jesus is just a name for gags. Uh, fodder for comedians or even just a swear word a and not once are his claims really considered rejection at its most simplest it makes for a tragic scene these couple verses don't you think this clearly knowing who Jesus is and yes not knowing everything but knowing his claims they these guards knew the, the charges against him look at how they mocked him Still these guards beat him and belittle him. Peter, sometime later, who looked on from the shadows, from the darkness as these guards beat Jesus in this incident, 
Peter wrote uh, full of God's spirit in 1 Peter. He wrote to those to Christians who are facing opposition as followers of Jesus. 1 Peter 2 verse 20 says, But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. It's hard to say whether opposition to Jesus and his claims uh, is growing it's certainly changing. That's probably fair enough. During the week, um, the unit's just a screenshot from my computer, but during the week, the University of Sydney Union for Students ordered the Evangelical Union. Now, the Evangelical Union is the a main large Christian group on campus. Um, when I was at Sydney Uni, that's the Christian group I went to. Um, a lot of people went to it. They ordered the, the Sydney Uni uh, Union of Students ordered the Evangelical Union to allow non-Christians to be voted, voting members of the EU. And if they did not do that, the EU faced deregistration. A group that has been publicly engaging in public debate about Jesus, even mocked publicly, uh, helping students offering free food in orientation week uh, and with a well-known and powerful, loving Christian witness in the university. There's no doubt about it. For over a hundred years, or close to a hundred years, I think, has now been told to be more inclusive and let non-Christians who don't believe in Jesus or have anything to do with what the EU stands for who are actually always welcome at EU events, but now they've been told to allow non-Christians to decide the direction of this Christian group. Now, I think to most sane, normal people, that just sounds like madness. What? A, what, what? Absolute madness. Or it's strategic discrimination and persecution of Christians. Or both. <laughs> Possible. Yet... Not really surprising. What maybe is surprising is that Christians have had it good for this long. Maybe that's what's surprising. We must continue to trust in the sovereign God who holds the cards, so to speak. He's got the winning hand. We must trust him in that. The University of Sydney Student Union, for example, and groups like it, who mock and belittle Jesus may think they hold the cards, may think they hold the winning hand, but that's all they hold, really. All they hold is, um, to mix up my metaphors just a little, all they hold is a house of cards, which could fall any moment, and one day will fall before the true and living God. What about this next set of characters then? His next set of characters who are confronted with the claims of Jesus. The Jewish leaders, 
the, the council of the elders of the people, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. In Luke's account, they're just as negative in their reaction to Jesus as the guards. Jesus, for these Jewish leaders, he's a nuisance. He's no saviour. Their illegal, hastily arranged trial and their false accusations levelled at Jesus show their desperation to be rid of him. In fact, they're so desperate to be rid of him that even exchange a known murderer, Barabbas. Have a look at verses 22 of chapter 23. Right at the end of the reading Jim, uh, Jim read to us. For the third time... He spoke to them. So that's Pilate speaking to the crowd, the Jewish crowd and the leaders. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. With such hard hearts, that's what they had, Jesus had got in the way of the Jewish leaders' plans. Although they had accused Jesus of being a king, it was them who desired to rule. Now, although not quite as dramatic as that scene, it does remind us of the way sometimes we respond to Jesus, don't you think? Sometimes he gets in the way of our plans, if we're honest with ourselves. We want to be in charge, we want to be the boss, not Jesus. Now there's a magnificent website, in fact there's quite a few of them actually, um, which rather cruelly, but for great amusement, show pictures taken by their parents of children when upset when things have not gone their way or when their plans were not the parents' plans. Let let me give you a bit of a taste of this. Um, So a fly landed near him. Tough times indeed. His hoodie wouldn't zip up any farther. I wouldn't get the video of Single Ladies by Beyonce to play on the computer. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there. Uh, Someone else was walking on the sidewalk. (laughs) And it says there, T-Rex's jaw is not big enough to bite this Lego man's head. (laughs) Indeed. And I think this is the last one. I love this one. They received new hats. (laughs) I love their faces. They're very funny. (laughs) Yeah, anyway. See, we all love to think that our plans or our ways are best. And we don't like it when our plans are challenged or disrupted. And sometimes we can respond that way to Jesus. Uh, Jesus becomes a nuisance, slowing down what I have achieved. Um, You see, the funny thing is toddlers toddlers love to be in charge. If you've um, had a toddler or you've met one, Um, that's all you need. (laughs) They love to be in charge. Well, the funny, the not-so-funny thing is, so do adults. You know, 
Yeah, I love reading my Bible. I know reading my Bible is important, but I'm busy. I've got lots on my plate. I don't really have time for that right now. Or we're, but we're trying to pay off the mortgage. School fees are due. We really need that renovation. We can't afford to give right now. It doesn't really fit into our financial plan. Or, look, it's only with these guys. It's just what we do when we get together. We, we drink a little bit too much. It's only now and then. If we really believe the claims of Jesus, that is, uh, 22 verse 69 says, He is sitting at the right hand of the mighty God. He is the Son of Man that Daniel 7 looked and, and, and prophesied about. That, that Sitting at the right hand of God, that position of great authority, the one in charge, if Jesus really is the one who rules really, then he's got to be in charge in here as well. He's got to be in charge of our lives. Finally, we meet our, our final set of characters. It's our fourth group, the Roman leaders, Pilate and Herod. Sort of verses 1 to 25 take us through that story. For Herod, well, Jesus is a sideshow. He's a fascination. He's someone for his amusement. It's almost as if Jesus was to be the king's new court jester. Do his magic tricks, crack some jokes and so on. He's been longing to meet Jesus for quite some time. We read in verse 8. In the end, though, just like his guards, Herod mocked and ridiculed Jesus and his claims. Jesus was a great story, but no king, no king like Herod. And Herod was right. Jesus is no king like Herod. For Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, Pilate... Well, yeah, Pilate was weak, wasn't he? And he simply followed the crowds. The claims of Jesus meant nothing to him. The truth was not important. What mattered was keeping the status quo, keeping the, the people happy, political expediency, really. Mark 15, in Mark's Gospel, tells us that Pilate simply wanted to satisfy the crowds. So Pilate... Well, he washed his hands of the matter. He washed his hands of the claims of Jesus. And that's, of course, what we do, isn't it? That's what we do when our aim is to satisfy the crowds. We wash our hands of Jesus. We water him down so that Jesus no longer rules. We compromise, we make excuses. His word becomes just like the word of others. But if Jesus really is who he said he is, if his claims are true, if he really is, as John 14 says, the way, the truth and the life, if he really is the Son of God, the Son of Man, God's Christ, God's eternal King who rules at God's right hand, then the crowds, well, they, they simply pale in comparison, don't they, to this King Jesus. The word of the crowds are insignificant compared to the word of our Lord. The word of Lord Jesus. Well, friends, let's, let's pull some things together. Here's the, here's the big question. How will you respond to the claims of Jesus? 
That's got to be the question for us this morning, isn't it? That's the question Luke was asking his readers and it's the question God is asking us today. See, perhaps today you need to respond to Jesus afresh. Perhaps today you're in a position, say, that that, that Kim was at a little while back. Um, Perhaps today you need to respond to the claims of Jesus and simply say, I believe. Perhaps today you need to come to him and, and... and say sorry Um, ask for forgiveness and know the promises of God because God always keeps his promises know the promises of God that God forgives us and loves us that you are forgiven and then start following Jesus let him rule your life we don't always get it right I'm a great example of that Um, But God is a God of forgiveness and God is a God of love, of grace. As we turn back to him, that's the story of Peter. Peter reminds us of that. We're reminded that many will not respond with kindness to Jesus. That's the reality. Many will ridicule him and work hard at keeping him and those who follow him silent. We've been challenged that as we respond to Jesus, sometimes his words will not suit our plans. And that'll mean we need to trust him. It'll mean we need to change our plans and actually let him rule. And finally, we meet Pilate, who who just washed his hands of Jesus in favour of the crowds. So why don't we pray that God gives us the strength to resist the pull of the crowds and to respond to Jesus for who he really is. Why don't we join join with me and let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for um, your words to us. Lord, today we thank you for the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for us. Lord, thank you that that he really, that he is um, sitting by you at your right hand, Father, in that position of authority, um, ruling, Lord, we pray that Jesus rules our hearts as well and our lives. Uh, Lord, we we pray that we won't be like Peter. But Lord, we know sometimes we will stuff up and do the wrong thing and uh, we will sometimes be ashamed. Lord, we're sorry for that. We pray that you give us the strength that we won't do that. We pray that you'd give us the strength not to wash our hands of Jesus and follow the crowds, that instead we'll actually um, follow you, Lord. And Lord, um, we know we live in a world which is uh, sometimes difficult. But Lord, give us the strength we need. Lord, thank you for the truth of your claims. Uh, Thank you that, uh, Lord Jesus, you uh, died on the cross for us. That you rose from the grave. And we we look forward to to thinking specifically about those things next week. But Lord, we look forward to to doing that. Um, We pray that you'd give us um, boldness as uh, we might invite friends and talk about Jesus. Help us to not be ashamed. Um, Lord, thank you for today. Uh, Thank you for your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.